1: Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. Actually, you might have other personal astrophysicists. <laughs> I pretend I'm your personal astrophysicist. I also serve as director of New York City's Hayden Planetarium at the Museum of Natural History, right here in New York City. And that those chuckles on the other side was none other than Chuck Nice. That's Chuck, right. Welcome back as co-host. Thank you. Today's I'm... show is on the MythBusters. We all know and love the MythBusters. Who doesn't love the MythBusters? They both came through town, and I had them in my office, and we chatted about like the genesis of their show and what what were they thinking. Do you, do you still have an office? Did they blow it up? Did they blow up your office? Because they blow up everything. Yeah, they touch stuff and break it, and you know it's been a, a stable on the Discovery Channel for like ten years. Yeah, I very mean, successful show. Wow, you know dude, yeah. how many shows last ten years? Very few. Very few. Very none, few. None of the shows I'm <laughs> of. <to. laughs> Sorry about that, Chuck. Exactly. All <laughs> oh, my pain. So, as you may know, they use the scientific method basically to test or or validate or or, or, or debunk right. myths, rumors, ur- urban, urban legends, legends yeah. a certain scenes in movies that you say, could that have happened? Yeah. You know, uh, internet videos that go viral, news stories. Yeah. This is what they do. It's a brilliant show. A brilliant show. Let's find out just how that how it all began. Let's check it out. What were you guys thinking? when you started this
2: show. Actually, we were hired talent at the beginning. We had nothing to do with the pitch for Mythbusters.
3: I won't say that we had nothing to do with the So you were pretty
1: faces, is what you're saying. Well,
3: Well, it was just a job. You know, we got to pay the rent. Somebody contacted Jamie, said, do you want to do this show called Mythbusters? And I'm like... Like, that's ever going to happen. But just as a matter of principle, I went ahead and tried it, because you got to try things, or you're tried never going to... Try I mean screen test, or you try Well, tried
2: actually, it? yeah, so he called me up and said, listen, I got this call from Discovery about this thing, I, I don't think I could do it on my own, but you're a ham, so you want to shoot a demo reel together?
3: <laughs> I had to think of who's a ham that I know, but also somebody that's good at doing what we do, because it wasn't just about talking, it was about replicating urban legends, and the fact that we were guys that build things was part of this process premise that we would actually replicate these things so you become a
1: participant in the test not yes. just an observer of something exactly some other and effort. in
2: terms of you know being freelancers where we're always trying to look at what the next avenue is i had actually just bought a laptop the first PowerBook that you could edit digital video on and it was teaching
1: myself way back in the day
2: way back the Pismo <laughs> and I was teaching myself digital video editing and so when Jamie called I had all the equipment necessary and we shot what ended up being a 14 minute demo reel and they ended up kind of building the backbone of the show off of that demo so reel. you
1: got to shape the profile of the show based on how you expressed your talents no one told us that we had done that for several years <laughs> <laughs> yeah
3: well <laughs> like, and, and you also have to understand a little bit of background Adam and I We're not exactly friends, but uh, in fact we don't get along very well at all. In
2: 21 years we've never had dinner alone together
3: but we have common interests and I would call Adam up and come down and check this out. I'm tinkering in the shop on the we're weekend. we were
2: professionally interested
3: in what each other was doing. Yeah. And one of those cases prior right, to I this, forgot. for yeah. example, was I had gotten these cordless drills at that time. They were new. They were really powerful.
1: NASA technology, you might add. Yeah.
3: <laughs> 24 volt, heavy duty cordless High drills. High torque. Yeah. And so, so I he, did what anyone would well, do. Wait, wait,
2: wait. He calls me up and he goes, well, what are you doing? I haven't heard from him in like four months. And I said, I'm having breakfast with my kids. And he goes, well, I'm down at the shop, and I just built something, and I'm about to strap it on. You want to come check it out?
3: <laughs> I strapped them on to some rollerblades with a little bevel gear, kind of a reduction going right into one of the wheels, and it had triggers, and I was riding around in the shop with powered skates. You were and being the kid. Yeah. Well, I got this shop where I can build anything, so I call Adam up, and he comes down, and I'm, like, jerking all out, trying to not get killed on these things. It's like an uh, early Tony Stark. Yeah, like trying to get the bugs it.
1: out of the Iron Man
3: exactly. suit. I'm convinced soup.
2: that that sequence in Iron Man is actually semi-inspired by us.
3: <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> I was in the habit of doing these things periodically, but I call Adam up when we got this call from the production company, and he comes down and we film this thing. We actually lit something on fire and ran away from it. Yeah, and it turned out to be what the show was. You're
1: being kids who haven't grown up. You're really, setting stuff on fire, you're it, putting rockets on your skateboards. And you're was somewhere in the, like the second season, we realized, wow, actually the structure of this
2: show
3: works best when we are having the most fun. We don't see any reason to make that line between kids and adults and play just because you look at a kid playing and you figure they're just doing it because they're having fun but they're understanding their world through these little adventures that they're having, these little experiments. It's often very nonlinear, but that they're building a foundation of understanding of the world and there's not really that much difference as far as adults. A lot of scientists go in this linear direction and there are times that that's the way to do things and that's very productive but a lot of the most important discoveries that have been made have been off to the side on some tangent. We yeah. say this at the end of our Turing show, that
2: someone once said that the phrase that typifies real discovery is not Eureka, but, oh, that's funny.
1: Yeah, that was Isaac Asimov, who said... That's funny. Th- you should really pay attention to when a scientist says, that's odd. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Nice. John, yeah, crazy dudes. Uh, yeah. That was Adam Savage and Jamie Heineman the two
4: Mythbusters. Mythbusters. You know what I found really strange is that... Uh, these guys are living in a real-world Acme Labs. They're like Wile Coyote, making
1: rocket skates and blowing stuff up. No, I don't know if they ever used an anvil for anything. <laughs> so, you know, they, uh, you know, their background is in special effects, preparing special effects for movies. Ah. You know what I just learned recently? There's a difference between special effects and visual effects. Okay, I think I know the difference. I'm still a newbie in this, all right. but special effects are mechanical models that you film in a way they look real, and visual effects you do it all on a computer. On a computer, yeah, yeah. So they're old school. Yeah, yeah. Make something. Make something. Yeah, yeah. Go, go in the lab and make that happen. And what what intrigues me is they know and they understand that if you play, mm-hmm. you're doing science. If you play without rules, right? Just break something, try something, and kids do this all the time. Yes, Are you got how many? You, I lost I have track. Three. You have six have kids. <laughs> <laughs> three. It feels like six. Do you allow them to do experiments in your house? Believe it or not, yes, I do. Nice. As a
4: matter of fact, my son and I. Uh, how old? Uh, my son is eight. Mm-hmm. And the good last, age. Good age. Good age. The last experiment we did was uh, we grew crystals, and uh, he kept a,
1: a crystal lob. meth or crystal. <laughs> <laughs> Starting them <laughs> early, Chuck. Breaking. Bad kitty <laughs> style. <laughs> <laughs> the Nickelodeon. The Nickelodeon
4: version of Breaking
1: Bad. <laughs> no, crystals are great. What kind of crystals did you grow? Um, I'm going to be honest. I don't know. Uh, what? what, what, what uh, I'll hook you up later. I'll uh, tell you. Uh, uh, ten, you'll five, tell me, some, but, at least you grow sugar crystals, for goodness sake. Then yeah, you, you could, could eat it. Eat your, uh, eat your experiment.
4: That would have been, but no, uh, it comes in a little package. But the idea was to get him uh,
1: to, to keep a log and to chart the progress. And I think one of the great Takeaways of Mythbusters that it's trained you to think more deeply about things that happen in front of you right and take good data When we come back more of StarTalks interview with the Mythbusters <laughs> Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson. Co-host today, Chuck Nice. That's right. Tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. Thank you, sir. Yes, I am. You guy follow you, by the way. Oh, and I've... I don't follow that many people. I just want you to know. Well, I'm, I feel honored. You on the list? <laughs> <laughs> well, today we're talking about the MythBusters. They're great. They're practically legendary at this point. Yeah, without a doubt. The two of them together, uh, and, and they visited New York. I they got them in my office, and we just talked for like an hour. Chopped it up for to, a while. Chopped. <laughs> So let's, let's find out what their background is and how they got into this and what it's all about special effects, which triggered their interest in this entire career that they've had for themselves. Adam, how many films had you worked on? I, I guess about a dozen.
2: And uh, your, your most known film among that dozen? Star Wars episodes one and two, A.I. The original space one and two. No, the... no, no, no. That was ten when those came out. You were ten? when? They... <laughs> oh, that's so
4: cute. I'll
2: pinch your cheek. That's oh, so cute. No, I worked on uh, Attack of the Clones and The Phantom Menace. Okay. Space Cowboys. I helped build the space shuttle for that movie. I have some trivia for you for Space Cowboys.
1: Yeah. What STS shuttle mission did they fly on? Oh, God, I don't know. Two hundred. Oh, that's really late. <laughs> that was very late and very wishful thinking about yes! how long the shuttle was last. Like right, because right, right. where did it go? It went to only like 134, I think. And or...
2: considering that uh, the gravity shuttle mission was 158. Oh yeah, that's right,
1: in the film Gravity. Yeah,
2: yeah. So they're all taking the shuttles beyond <laughs> reality. That's how you know how unreal they could be. NASA supplied us with all these binders of shuttle mission payload bay setups. And the payload bay was my personal job. And so every piece of equipment in the Space Cowboys shuttle bay is from a real shuttle mission. It's just from like 30 all at once, (laughs) which astronauts look at that and they laugh.
1: Yeah, because the asynchrony of it it
2: gives it away. And here's a secret about film space stuff, which is that we looked all over and did tons of camera tests to find proper gold foil that exposed and looked right to the gold foil they use on NASA missions. It turns out it's a Rolo wrapper. No. Yep. So ILM when we did it and later on at Mythbusters. Industrial Light and Magic. Yeah. And later on when we did our Moon Landing Hoax episode on Mythbusters, we bought cases of Rolos and took off the wrappers and used those for our gold foil.
3: (laughs) And Jamie, how about you? Somewhere around 800 commercials and a couple dozen feature films. Commercials? Yeah. Okay. And the feature films, Arachnophobia, Naked Lunch, and so Robocop.
1: This, this is the era of mechanical models. We're not talking about CGI here. Yes. Yeah. So that's you guys it almost ir- doesn't
3: exist. Anymore. Right. That you're the last wave of who could do that. Exactly. Yeah. And even through the course of our experience with them, they started out with stuff like Arachnophobia were cable driven. Those spiders and Arachnophobia had an organ grinder kind of a device that had. A stack of cams and levers, each one pulled on a specific cable that went into a spider. And Jamie and so, designed that right. Now. Yeah. Ooh. Each of those spiders would have maybe 30 little axes of movement in its legs and so on. The funny thing, when you
1: design special effects like that, the movie then has a portfolio of artifacts. Yes, left over from it nowadays there's nothing and yeah,
2: it's funny it's all- when you tour through Industrial Light and Magic now that's all they have is all those practical models but they're growing more and more
3: distant yeah, yeah. what commercial you name it any kind of soft drink or bar or, or beer or yeah. cereal <laughs> Jamie did
2: all the little penny commercials
3: for as Nike well for Nike and Anthony okay. Hardaway mm-hmm. yeah they might be as simple as pour shots you know if you're pouring beer or a soda oh
2: here's a classic mm-hmm. that Jamie worked on do you remember the York Peppermint Patty commercial where the Peppermint Patty goes get the sensation And you see it break? Jamie built that, and he's got it on his desk. Yeah. It's about eight inches in diameter.
3: All the Hershey's Kiss ads where they're dancing around. And that was the kind of thing that we would do, all the way up to the more advanced puppets. And towards the end of that run, the puppets had gone from cable-controlled things to very sophisticated robotic kinds of things. One of my favorites that I think actually it was done while Mythbusters was happening was the, a 7-Up commercial seven up, yeah. where I had to take a 7-Up machine and put tank treads on it and it had to Fire soda cans out the slot where you normally pick them up. So the idea was this, Seven Up
2: <clears throat> bringing the soda to
3: you. <laughs> yeah. So this machine had a electric car motors in it and these big tank treads and it was all radio controlled and it would hold a uh,
2: a magazine uh, of about a dozen cans. A, it was
3: a, like a twelve pack of uh, Seven <laughs> Up cans that would load in and you press a button and they would come out that slot. About uh, I got kind of carried away. They, they would come out about four hundred miles an hour. So you
2: just it was, tested it against the side of the building we were working in and it sounded like. We were under mortar fire, and then we
1: realized we were. Because it's not only the velocity of the can. It's 12 ounces. There's the fact that the can is under pressure. Yes. So now you explode a can under pressure on impact.
2: The beautiful thing was what was left of the can after it hit the wall
3: was like a piece of tin
2: foil. It was perfectly flat.
3: Yeah. And that thing was lethal. <laughs> oh. B- boys and their toys. Yes.
1: Tell me about it. I just so love it. So the- wait, wait. So the can coming out, oh, 100 miles an hour wasn't fast enough. Right. right. You need more power. Right. <laughs> For- (laughs) How about 400 miles an hour? Oh my God. I
4: just love the fact that he turned a 7-Up machine into Tiananmen Square.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so it's interesting. You never know what your background will bring into a future, right? Into how you might capitalize on that later. Because here's all their background that nobody's using anymore. Exactly. Yet they're still sort of rolled it into their current creativity, how to devise the experiments that they test right. and how they. Uh, so that I'm, I'm, it's a I'm, it's a happy story. Just it really doing. is. And you know, when, one of the cool things there is you get to see how many
4: applications, real life applications, science has. Yes. <laughs> (laughs) You know, it's like, who would think that, you know, here you are studying these uh, laws and properties in school. In school.
1: And then you have a job where they all actually come into play into real life on an everyday basis. Actually, uh, when I was tweeting during the Super Bowl, my opening tweet was football the greatest expression of the laws of physics in the universe. <laughs> 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 Spin stabilized projectiles, <laughs> momentum transfer, <laughs> nice. energy. Yeah, so phys- physics is everywhere. We've got another clip of these guys in this segment here where we talked about some sort of unexpected limits they came up against when they first started out as mythbusters. Alligators in the sewers, is that a MythBusterable thing? thing? Well- It was on our list at the very
2: beginning, as obvious as it is. One thing was New York wanted no part of us investigating that here. Because you might actually find (laughs) Well, and then we started to really look like, well, how would we do it? So the way we'd want to test that is go into New York sewers and assemble the same conditions that we find down there and see if you can raise an alligator in those conditions. That would be, and that's That's the way to do it. Right? I mean, you're
1: very potentially killing an alligator to do that. Or you could be nourishing it with some kind of sewage waste (laughs) that could turn into a super alligator. (laughs) Right,
2: right. This is is part of the legend, right? Teenage mutant ninja alligator. Yeah, teenage mutant (laughs) ninja alligator. (laughs) So, animal cruelty. That's the thing where, you know, it's like we're never going to put a poodle in a microwave. As funny as it is to (laughs) threaten to. And actually, on our season one, we were doing promos and we said, we got to tease this. So we got a poodle and we put it on top of a microwave. And Jamie goes, don't you want the treat in there? Go get that treat. And we got all sorts of crap for that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, people are funny about that stuff. I remember before this, in effects, doing commercials, some pizza commercial where they had garlic puppet. That gets chopped and burned and hacked, and we got hate mail from the public and had to cancel the- It was violence in effigy. Vegetable killers. It's a puppet, and it's garlic. It's It's odd that there you are chopping up a garlic puppet
1: and getting (laughs) mail about it, yet nations go to war every day, and actual human beings get cut up and shot. Right. Yeah. But you're getting mail on a garlic puppet. Yes.
4: (laughs) Oh my god, so- we're idiots! (laughs) We are idiots, because that is, the, what a salient point. People are dying every day, every day at the hands of other people, but you're concerned about a puppet made of garlic. <laughs> made of garlic. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, I can see it now. Sarah McLaughlin comes out. Hi, I'm Sarah McLaughlin. Do you know a puppet that's being abused in the arms of an angel? You know. Hi, I'm Jim Henson's ghost. Please stop this carnage against the puppets. It's ridiculous.
1: You know, people got their issues. That's what it is. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so the point is, the Mythbusters, they collect all of these urban legends and see if they can work. What I found interesting is they're smart enough to know that sometimes you can't do the experiment in situ, and the idea, even though they didn't follow through on it, that they might create a sewer environment and a controlled lab, and then you can actually follow through on how and when and where that would happen. Everybody wants an alligator in the sewer. I'm certain of it. You know what? That's one of my favorite urban legends there is. is Every time I'm
4: waiting for the subway, I'm just somewhat hopeful that a giant albino alligator will show up instead of the end train. Uh, (laughs) An albino
1: alligator. Do you know that the, the, you know why we fear reptiles? Why? It's been. Interestingly hypothesized. Right. Because back before the dinosaurs went extinct, our mammal ancestors were running underfoot trying to avoid becoming bee. their their lunch right. or their hors d'oeuvres. And so they were reptiles. Nice. And so deep within our DNA, we fear reptiles. And all the old B movie aliens, right. they were reptiles. The reptiles. And right. here all this time I thought it was because they were icky. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, more Star Talk Radio's interview with the Mythbusters.
4: hrblock.com all tax situations are different not everyone gets a refund limitations apply descriptions of benefits and details at hrblock.com guarantees whether you're a family vacation traveler business tripper or long weekend adventurer choice hotels has a stay for any you
0: Games rated E for everyone.
1: We're back, Star Talk Radio. Your astrophysicist here, Neil Tyson. Chuck, Chuck Nice with me. Yes. Yeah, we're talking about the Mythbusters. Talking about the Myth. You know, but before we
4: get back into it, you were talking about, and I was thinking about this, how reptiles and I was thinking, wow, that is fascinating, because everyone has a visceral fear of reptiles.
1: Yeah, we think it dates all the way back to when we were running away from T-Rex, basically, 65 million years ago. Our mammal ancestors, deep within our DNA code, is a fear of reptiles. Nice. And 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 look at all the B-movies, that, and even in Star Trek. Even in Star Trek. The famous horn. <laughs> the, the fa- <laughs> that was a reptile, if there ever was one. Absolutely. Right, right. So <laughs> it's just fun to think about that. That is. And you know who checks a lot of this is Snopes.com. Have you ever gone there? Yeah. Oh, just go and hang out, you know, tell other people about it. They report on whether any of these urban legends are true or not. Right. And the poodle in the oven, that's the classicest case right. of an urban legend. And they say, no, of course it's not true. But it tells us that people fear technology that they don't understand.
4: That makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So I got another clip with the Mythbusters. And we talk about how special effects that they'd worked on creates the illusion of reality. But the Mythbusters do the opposite. Let's find out.
3: the thing about special effects is that you're allowed to make something look like it is doing that without actually uh, doing that, we, that clusters,
1: we have to do the opposite it's, it's got to be it has got to be real
3: and yeah. that, that, that otherwise I, we'll call you out on it you, you know
2: in television sometimes you have to shoot things out of order mm-hmm. and occasionally with a location or some sort of scheduling problem we'll have to shoot a sequence that's going to happen before a sequence that we're shooting subsequently And in those cases, we'll only do that if we're really sure about what the result of an experiment's going to be. And every time we do that, we get screwed. (laughs) The experiment doesn't turn out the way we expect. And so we have learned, never put our eggs in one basket like that. Never count on a specific I'm I'm a shadow
1: length checker. I know if you filmed something before, it should have been after. Oh, right. Because your shadows don't lie. And usually you're not thinking of your shadow. It's true. I saw a documentary once it showed scenes in Africa and there was a thunderstorm in the background and I noticed that the thunder and the lightning were happening simultaneously oh, yeah. <laughs> so I said what made you decide to do that I wasn't criticizing it I just want to know at what point do you say, I'm going to fake this? Right. And then it looked like he was a little embarrassed. Oh, Dr. Tyson, you got me on that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. They showed the actual footage and it, it uh-huh. was dissonant, you know, where. Right. The, it actually
2: put your attention on the wrong thing. Uh, yeah, it was distracting. We had this with one of our first giant explosions. We blew up a cement truck with 800 pounds of. You blew uh, up a cement antful. truck? Yeah. Why? Because was, we could. The myth <laughs> is that you could clean out a dirty cement truck with a stick of dynamite. And it actually turns out that that's true. You actually can more easily remove cement from the inside of a cement truck with dynamite.
3: Yeah, it's like a crusty thing that is on the inside, and it's brittle, and it falls off from the top. So it basically cracks it, yes. and then it comes, and yes. it's like a self-cleaning oven.
2: Right, exactly. It's- so we decided to take this to the nth degree, and we filled a cement truck full of dried cement, and then we blew it up with Ampho. And we were a mile and a half across a body of water from the explosion, and the explosion took eight seconds to actually reach us. We could watch the pressure wave coming across the water towards us and hit us in the chest and the cameraman who had been instructed the show's about Adam and Jamie. We have other cameras covering the explosion. Focus on them. He did not turn around and get us. So the shot that you see in the show of us jumping Totally faked.
1: Oh, yeah. wow. But you knew it did happen.
2: Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, we were there, and we yeah. did jump. We yeah. just, the cameraman didn't get us, so yeah, we, we actually... It took so long. Asked yeah. us and to you do can't do it again.
1: blow up another... you can't here.
2: blow <laughs> up another... <laughs> well, <laughs> no. we we do can. over.
1: <laughs> By the way, people forget to notice that at rocket launches, because the nearest location at Cape Canaveral is about three miles away. Right. But this is Florida, so there's a lot of marshy, wet areas. So you see the shuttle launch, you don't hear anything. Right. And as the sound moves, you see birds starting to rise up out of the marsh and then you see the ripple along the thing and then you hear but people are just looking up like that you have to know to look around yeah yeah and to catch the rest of it's a lovely thing that delay this is why a thousand people got injured in chelyabinsk russia that's why because the asteroid that blew up over that town was brighter than the sun Wow. In early morning during their breakfast, it was an air blast, and so light is beaming through their breakfast so window. They all look out the window. You know, Steven Spielberg, Alien style, right, right? Right, right. And so they say, "Hmm, what is that?" <laughs> and they all walk up to the window. Note to Bam. Sell. Wow. Then the shockwave hits, and all of the glass in the entire city shatters uh, into people's faces. Uh. It's a good note.
2: If the sun comes out at night, don't look out the window. Don't look and find out what what wait, wait. Open the door. The door is perfectly fine. <laughs>
4: <laughs> see, now, if that had been Compton, nobody would have gone to the window. Because when you see a bright light shining in your window in Compton, you know it's the police. <laughs> <laughs> is,
1: that, is that where you live? I don't know. Which <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, again, there's uh, Pete, they like blowing stuff up. And, uh, and who yes. would have thought this about cement trucks? My goodness. Yeah. It seems to me you could just tap it on the outside to crack it or something. How about that? And and then do you still have a truck when it's done? And therefore, of what use is this activity to clean? Clean out the truck (laughs) if you don't have a truck. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even understand. Yeah. Anyhow, when we come back with uh, my interview with the Mythbusters, we just find out more about specific tests that they've done. What's the most expensive one, for example? I want to find out. Oh, I can't. If the cement truck isn't up there,
4: I (laughs) can't even imagine.
1: All right. We'll be right back. Back on Star Talk Radio. Chuck Nice with me. Yes. Uh, this Mythbusters are crazy guys. I love these Myth- guys. Mythbusters are Adam Savage and Jamie Hyman. I had him in my office. <laughs> so there. <laughs> <laughs> but I had to cordon off all the stuff in my office cuz no telling what they'd be grabbing stuff and breaking things <laughs> and
4: blowing things up and putting dynamite in your desk. But they at all at all times
1: they're testing an idea that mm-hmm. someone had put out there. This isn't they're not just wanton right. crazy people, right? <laughs> right? There's someone thinks this is true, let's test it. The art of the test. And I, what in my office I asked them, what's the most expensive episode of Mythbusters that they ever conducted? Cool. Let's find out.
2: The third time we revisited the rocket car. It's an original Darwin Award myth where a guy strapped a military genesis to take off rocket to his Impala, and supposedly flew a mile through the air, embedded into a mountain, and they pulled his teeth out of the wreckage to identify him. That was actually our very first episode. So you wanted to redo buses. that? Well, we did it first uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. Yeah. That's ago. What's something I want to do. <laughs> then we did it a second time where we got these really powerful rockets that blew up on the stand. So we spent 20 grand on these rockets. Everything we did worked perfectly, the rockets blew up. Took us another five years to convince Discovery to fork over enough dough to do it for real. And this time we did two launches last summer in the Mojave Desert. One with a car hitting a bump in the road and the other with a real straight up ramp. But why is that interesting? Sure, I put rockets on my car, I fly. Uh, Well, there's two things to this. The first- is the car's version of a jetpack. Essentially, except that rockets aren't shaped like cars for a very good reason. And So the first time we did it, we put the normal j amount of power on the car, and it only accelerated the car to 150 miles an hour. And in, traditionally, on Mythbusters, when we get to a place like that, we want to find out what would it take to replicate the behavior that is stated in the myth. To get the car to accelerate to 350 miles an hour and fly perhaps roughly a mile through the air. 350
1: and the, miles an hour, you go backwards in time.
2: <laughs> with the red shifting. <laughs> Marty! <laughs> So yeah. then we, we, the flux we, we, the math said to get the car up to that speed and we attempted to balance correctly using, you know, model rocketry formulas to get the rockets in the right place. The question is, is if you have the car balance and the rockets in the right place and they have enough power, will they actually make the car fly straight and true? And
1: that was the answer we hadn't fully come to as the second part that of the story. That was half of the design concern in the Apollo era. Have <laughs> you have a straight rocket, how do you point it? How do you right, aim it? Right. Yeah.
3: Well, we, of course, could have gone to a place where we start to add fins and do other things to this car.
2: We get people uh, that say, why don't you just put fins on the yeah. thing or aimings?" and we say, yeah. that's a car-shaped rocket. We want a rocket car.
3: Gotcha, yeah. Gotcha.
1: For us, there's an ethical difference. Your formula said that you'd be able to fly at 350 miles an hour.
3: Yes. According
2: to the amount of rocket power. So did
3: it it never really got the chance to be. They were so unstable that they... Uh, so the answer is no. The answer, say is
2: no. the answer is no. Let me hear you say yeah, the answer no. is Did no. it work? Well, the no. The scientist in wants to say, I guess on an infinitely straight track, maybe, but with us going off a bump in the road, it's too unstable and they bounced out. Yeah, they they did what feet. I was
3: talking about, which is they interact with the ground rather
2: <laughs> quickly.
3: <laughs> you guys have a whole euphemistic vocabulary. The other favorite term is catastrophic failure. That is we,
2: my favorite engineering term. Yeah,
3: no, we use that all the time on the show or in rocket propulsion lore there are rocket launches that succeed and
1: others that are rich in learning opportunities <laughs> 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 so that one cost them, you know, when all was said and done, like tens of thousands of dollars just for the, the rockets and cars. Right. So they made a brief mention of the Darwin Awards at the beginning. It was it was rumored that the person who did that mm-hmm. originally, who died, of course, right. was uh, was eligible and possibly won the Darwin. It turns out he didn't win the Darwin Awards, whether or not that even happened. Right. But you know about the Darwin Awards? Yes, yeah, so for the dumbest ideas ever. No. Uh, No. That's not the Darwin. No! Well, yes, that's an element of the Darwin Award. Oh, okay. It has to be an idea that you execute that is so dumb that you end up dying from it. Oh, I didn't know that that was a prerequisite. and that takes your genes out Mm. of the gene pool. Oh, there you go. Purifying Purifying those who ever Right. (laughs) <laughs> Make, making sure that you can't breed right actually or or the act of you performing this stupid thing if it doesn't kill you it at least sterilizes you right. which as far from a darwinian perspective is the it's same, the same thing same right, thing because
4: you're no longer going to add
1: uh, so so forget it you're e- done exactly and so you don't actually want to win a darwin award no <laughs> i have got a great trick but i can only do it once <laughs> The first person to fall into a black hole right. would win a Darwin Award. So so once again, I mean, I, I, I don't want to misrepresent the portfolio of their activities. Yes, they, people love blowing stuff up. But a lot of it is not blowing up. It's simple things and thoughts that people had, and they wanted to test
4: right. it. So, now, now, here's the thing, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not disparaging these guys at all. However, if you However- – have-
1: <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. It, hold your however okay. we're going to go to break we'll <laughs> <laughs> Chuck has a however we're going to go to break we'll come back and we'll find out why you're not disparaging okay. alright check it out <laughs>
0: You know what shouldn't feel like rocket science? Planning a vacation your whole crew will love. With Carnival Cruise Line, it's all up to you. You can kick back or dive right into the fun. Paddleboard in the crystal clear waters of one of Carnival's exclusive destinations, Half Moon Key in the Bahamas. Take an ATV ride through the jungle or just relax on white sandy Caribbean beaches. The fun continues on ship. From a ride on the Bolt roller coaster to a moment of pure bliss at the Cloud9 Spa. Kick off the evening with a craft cocktail at any of Carnival's dazzling bars and lounges and take your pick of restaurants from surf and turf to family style Italian. Then settle in for an evening of live entertainment. Whatever your vibe is, you'll come home with plenty of stories to tell. So pack those bags. Be sure to leave room for a few unforgettable memories because no one does fun like Carnival. Book your dream vacation at Carnival.com. Ships Registry, the Bahamas, and Panama.
4: eBay Motors is here for the ride. You saw the potential.
1: We're back on Star Talk Radio. Neil deGrasse Tyson here, your personal astrophysicist, with Chuck Nice, your yeah, personal Chuck. stand-up comic. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, everyone should have a personal <laughs> stand-up comic just to change how things look. Right. You know? Exactly. Well, I had a bad day. No, you didn't. That's what happened. So we're we're interviewing the uh, the MythBusters, Adam Savage and Jamie Hyman. and professionally they're they're like special effects prop builders you know in the old days and they just converted all that talent to building experiments to test popular lore Mm -hmm. and before we broke you had some comment about the darwin awards what was here's here's my point
4: okay if you're starting with something called the darwin awards Mm -hmm. which presupposes that you are the biggest dumb butt on the face of the earth Uh why do you have to replicate that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's so, like, seriously, you're starting off with people whose last words are, you know, how hey y'all watch this? <laughs> what? Like, that's what you're starting with. That's what? their last word. Like, that's their last word.
1: Why do you have to replicate that to see whether or not it's viable? I mean, that's my only point. You know, I'm told, although I don't remember this. Someone told me that in one of Kurt Vonnegut's novels, uh-huh. they, he hypothesized what are the last words ever spoken by anyone in the human species? Okay. It's, it's one scientist saying to the other, I wonder what happens if we do it this way. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how civilization came to an end. <laughs> so in and, and our, our la- next and final clip, uh, it talked about unexpected outcomes from their experiments. Because okay. you think it's going to go one way? Right. You don't know. You do the experiment and you find out. Let's check it out. Every idea you have, you have some expected outcome. Yes. What happens if nothing goes right? Not because you didn't design the experiment, right, but because the outcome was not anything you expected. That happens all the time, actually. And it's
2: arguably, is it refreshing or is it frustrating? It's arguably our favorite part of this whole job. Yeah,
3: that's one of the biggest surprises that we had when we got into doing this, starting out as not scientists by training. We, over time of doing this show, realized that when you fail you can't help but learn something if you pay attention. If we go through an experiment and everything turns out the way we expected and the way that we wanted it to... That's not even interesting. No. We just went through the motions. You know, you would think, okay, well, you pat yourself on the back for doing a good job, but... You're not in a new place. You're not in a new place, and you didn't grow from that. And for us, that's where the real value is, and it's counterintuitive, but when we go into something and we totally screw up and things didn't turn out the way that we wanted to or expected them to, we're overjoyed because we get right into it and ask questions why and And as long as we feel like our methodology is sound what we've got is
2: good data and good data that doesn't match what we expected is really good data (laughs)
1: I mean, That's interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah, it really yeah. is. One of the things that we've been able to do over the past 10 years in San Francisco is build a set of relationships with different types of locations that give us different latitudes of what we can do there. Set stuff on fire, blow stuff up, drive cars around, and because of those relationships we are able, when we come to a result we didn't expect, to call back to the office and say, tomorrow's location is off, I need you to find me a totally different location to do this totally different set of experiments. and Thus, the narratives that you end up seeing edited on the show are genuinely driven by the narrative itself. We don't write down what's going to happen. to them. We do write down an outline of what we expect to happen. We almost never but follow But what it. does
1: happen shapes what does happen.
2: Exactly. What gets filmed. Absolutely.
3: And we really feel like that has a freshness to it that the audience can smell. And this is what I find so profound about what we've done here with this show, is that we're not looking at this like, let's do science. We're looking at this just totally naturally like, we want to do a good job at this and we're realizing that when we fail we learn things and so we're okay with that we like that it's not something that's artificial it's, By the way, like, it's wow, not in our culture the value of a failure no You get blamed for failing.
2: You totally do. Right. And that's got to change. Reading Commander Chris Hadfield's book about NASA being, you know, in movies, something goes beep and an astronaut in the movie goes, what's that? And that would never happen at NASA because they've gone over every beep that could ever happen. They've gone over every worst case scenario they could do. And that's what makes them so good at what they do when they actually get out into space. And that kind of culture is a brilliant way to do problem
1: solving. You know, Chuck, I think that in America, I don't know about the rest of the world, but in America, we are so quick to blame you for failure. Yes. That I think if our brain were wired so that we viewed the world as a laboratory, then failure would be viewed... Failure would be viewed completely differently. Yeah. It would be, tell me what you learned. Right. What happened there? Right. Yeah. Let's add that to the data set. Rather than you idiot, you you know, right. it, you screwed and, up, you did this, you're right. Right, right, right. You're, you're fired. People, people are not interpreting failure as learning experiences. And I think that's a problem. Yes. We if, gotta change that. If failure is a learning experience, then my
4: life is brilliant. <laughs> My life is an exercise in genius.
1: No, here's the thing. You know, the difference is you don't want to fail in the same way a second time. Oh, there's the problem? <laughs> so therein lies the rub. There it is. You, you don't wanna make mistakes <laughs> twice, twice right? okay? okay? You wanna make new mistakes. Gotcha. All right. And so this was, uh, one of the heads of NASA a few years ago uh, tried to make the point, yeah, if, you, if you're going where no one has gone before, stuff is gonna happen, stuff will break, people will die. Right. You don't wanna die for reasons that you could have foreseen. Gotcha. That's the difference.
4: There you go. You want to be the guy who beams down to the planet, and you know you're not coming back because you're an ensign who's never been in an episode before. Just never wear a red shirt. There you I'm,
1: go. <laughs> Learn from that experience. <laughs> All right, we got we got to wrap this up, Chuck. Good having you on always Star always Talk again. You've been listening to Star Talk Radio. I've been your host Neil deGrasse Tyson. As always, until next time, I bid you to keep looking up.